Unilever has the belief that companies with purpose last, that brands with purpose grow, and that people with purpose thrive. Our mission is to have purposeful brands, to be able to prove that having a sustainable business increases performance, and to be a beacon for diversity and inclusion. You've got to create an environment for people to operate in where people can speak up without fear of retribution, without fear that they're going to feel like they've been stupid for making a mistake. And I think that's when you really create a learning organisation. And that's when you really create and attract and retain talent within the organisation because people feel like they can grow. Learning to cope with change is such a super skill particularly in technology, but in business generally, in the environment that we're in, the way the world is evolving, the way that technology is evolving across business. I think if you can learn to adapt and reorientate yourself and keep evolving around that and coping with change, it's an absolute you know, essential skill, I think, and something that will really help you in your career. This is CRNet TV. My name is Hendrik Deckers. I'm here today with Sam Kinney, who is the uh, Global Chief Information Officer at Unilever. A very warm welcome, Sam. Nice to meet you, Hendrik. Sam, you have a BA in Administrative Management from uh, Lincoln. You spent 20 years in different IT executive roles. I'm just mentioning a few, Telenet in Belgium, mm -hmm. uh, Virgin Media, Liberty Global, and you joined Unilever in 2021, mm -hmm. first as uh, Global VP Applications, and then in 2022, you uh, were appointed global CIO. So Sam, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Who are you really and why did you go into IT? So my first move into IT was in some respects a little bit accidental, I'll okay. be honest. I came out of university, was thinking about what I wanted to do mm -hmm. and I became a business analyst at British Gas, an energy okay. company. Mm -hmm. The role allowed me to get involved with numerous exciting projects, mm -hmm. um, sitting very much between the business and between IT. Yep. And of course, it, you know, in some respects, that's very much the role I still like to play today. Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved it and it really gave me the passion for technology. After a couple of years, I moved into the telecom sector, okay. which was a fantastic learning ground. I can imagine it was um, the Wild West back then. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it was at the time when, you know, broadband internet, digital TV, yeah. mobile phones became the part of our life that they are today. Yeah. And it was such an acceleration of technology, both in the underpinning technology yeah. and in, in terms of the products uh, that we were launching for our customers. Yeah. And I um, managed to, I guess during that period, I led transformation programs, mm -hmm. I was part of transformation programs, I got up in the middle of the night, I dealt with big outages, everything. But I think what it allowed me to do was to, I really feel that everything today that I asked my team to do, I've done myself during that. It was mm -hmm. such an incredible grounding from a yep. tech perspective because I, I got to do everything okay. from a technology standpoint. Um, I got asked to go and then become the CIO of Telenet, which mm -hmm. of course is when I first met you, Hendrik, which yep. is a brilliant opportunity, fantastic leadership team, and really interesting opportunity to be able to lead a different culture mm -hmm. and to lead in a different country. Um, the, the role was covering data, technology, cyber. It was a fantastic um, opportunity and lots of change still happening, lots of acquisitions, yep. lots of opportunity to, to consolidate and bring different companies together, which was fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, Towards the end of my time there, I'd, I'd been there for four years almost, as you know. Yep. Um, the travel was getting a lot for, for the family. And so I made a very conscious decision to come back to the UK. You know, my, my family and my husband's family are all based in the north of, of the UK. Yep. Um, my work has always been very much in the south. And, and we decided to, to, to have a bit of a think about how we could rebalance that. So when the Unilever role came along, it felt like an amazing opportunity. Mm -hmm. My team here, of course, is spread around the world. I have yep. a, a big base of people in the northwest of the country as well, okay. as in London. And, uh, and so here I am. Okay, super. Tell us a little bit more about Unilever. Mm. I mean, it's a very well-known brand, but what does it really stand for? How big is the company and, and, and so on? Give us the big picture. So, we're a company of 150,000 colleagues, wow. 190 countries, mm -hmm. and around 3.4 billion people in the world use our products every single day. Well, that's like half the world population. It really is, yeah. So we use, um, we have some incredible brands mm -hmm. um, like Omo, Dove, 
we're one of the biggest ice cream companies in the world mm -hmm. and um, making sustainable, you know, sustainability commonplace and part of everyone's lives is absolutely part of the, the core ethics of what yep. the company is about. Mm -hmm. We invest in innovation, whether mm -hmm. it be part of R&D, part of our products, part of our technology. We invest in people. Mm -hmm. But we also invest absolutely in um, sustainability. And so we have projects like Lifebuoy um, has done various different projects whereby they their products are, are absolutely targeted towards you know, reducing disease. Mm -hmm. And we have programs where we've made their products available. Yep. Um, we have a, a fund that we've made available, uh, which is the Climate and Nature Fund, mm -hmm. which is over the next 10 years um, effectively investing $1 billion euros wow. um, to allow um, products to, to really quickly activate and, mm -hmm. and really um, you know, enable sustainability across their brands. Yeah. So Sam, we live in special times. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there's um, inflation, there is uh, global instability uh, and, 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 and so on and so on. So mm -hmm. special times that we live in. What are here in Unilever the, one of the main challenges that the company is, is, is working on nowadays? So historically, we were set up in a little bit of a, diff of a hybrid structure as mm -hmm. an organisation. We were set up to um, serve the markets, mm -hmm. but we were also set up partially um, and led by divisions. Mm -hmm. What we've done during the course of the summer is we've moved, you know, very clearly now into mm -hmm. a five business group structure. Okay. Where we have five business groups that are absolutely targeted mm -hmm. about and focused about driving um, five individual areas of our organization. And mm -hmm. those are we have a nutrition business group, mm -hmm. we have a personal care business group, home care mm -hmm. for the likes of Purcell and Omo, yep. uh, beauty and well being, and then our ice cream business, as okay. I said before, is, is the biggest ice cream yep. business. Our favorite business. Our favorite business. <laughs> so, we have here this <laughs> yes. Dove bottle uh, on, on our table. Yep. What's this all about? So this is a new uh, innovation this year from yep. Dove. And for every two, it's all built on the idea of uh, refillables in a sense. Yep. And for every two refills, 50% uh, less plastic is used. Okay. But it's also, of course, got wider benefits mm -hmm. in that there's less trucks on the road, less carbon emissions, and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a number of these types of innovations also in the washing powder area that are also being worked on at the moment. So, Sam, let's talk a bit more about sustainability. In mm. the preparation of this interview, you um, made it clear that Unilever looks at uh, sustainability as a business driver. Can you position that? Absolutely. So Unilever has the belief mm -hmm. that companies with purpose last, that brands with purpose yeah. grow, mm -hmm. and that people with purpose thrive. And you know, our mission is to have purposeful brands, mm -hmm. to be able to prove that having a sustainable business increases performance, mm -hmm. and to be a beacon for diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. From a technology point of view, yeah. technology is a real enabler for sustainability and it's an area that we, we constantly invest in and look at. And there are a number of different examples around that So um, that have been out in the, in the press recently as well. So we work with Google mm -hmm. and we have created a geospatial platform that allows us to be able to, to see satellite imagery of where we have got plantations, where we're acquiring things like palm oil, mm -hmm. to see whether there's areas of deforestation, okay. to be certain about whether or not we are you know, acquiring palm oil from areas where there might have been deforestation because we have goals um, to be deforestation free by 2023. Mm -hmm. um, similarly, uh, with SAP, um, we have been using uh, their green token solution and we actually did a trial um, mm -hmm. in Indonesia uh, where it's actually using blockchain technology to really look at the, the source of the ingredients within products because quite often they'll get blended together as part of the process yeah. and it's very hard then for us to be transparent about where our products are sourced from. And so by using this, this technology, yep. in order to start to be able to use blockchain technology, we're able to actually have true traceability yep. about whether or not uh, we're happy with the sourceability of those yep. ingredients. So being able to trace from the production, from the harvesting until the finished products in the shops uh, at, at the clients is, is, is a key in building the sustainable company. And so, um, and they're tracking that, tracing that, and, and managing the data for that is, is super important. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. 
Okay. What are other uh, ways, uh, other kinds of uh, impact that you can have with your IT on on making Unilever more sustainable? I think it can it can touch everything. I mm. mean, we have a, a whole range of compass commitments, as we call them, mm -hmm. which are about what sustainability really means for this organisation, and they touch everything from. Um, paying people a living wage to you know having the right type of employee experience creating accessible technology for mm -hmm. people um, you know from an inclusivity perspective um, it could be um, our our cloud technology mm -hmm. and starting to look at how that can or can also be yep. you know sourced in the right way so we, we we're constantly searching across a whole range of different things mm -hmm. um, to see how we can from a technology perspective enable each of those compass commitments okay Sam when we met in Mechelen in Belgium and you were <laughs> running the, uh, the, the the IT group you were CIO at Tillenet mm -hmm. was a company of a couple of thousand people mm -hmm. now here at Unilever 150,000 people so the complexity must be multifold of, uh, mm -hmm. of a smaller company. So how do you manage that? Also, and, and from an IT point of view, how do you uh, create simplicity in a large organization like this? Over time, um, as many companies do, mm -hmm. we've ended up um, buying lots and lots of pockets of technology, yep. but become um, just too complex. Yep. Um, and, and there's a hidden burden of that complexity in my view. I think it's not just about actual cost, it's about um, the, the speed with which you can then deploy change gets really prohibited because it can mean that in each of the markets that you go into, you mm -hmm. haven't got a blueprint, you haven't got a repeatable way of being able to deploy tech because yep. each landing spot is a little bit different. Yep. And so what we're really trying to do now is to create this, this common framework and then um, work out where we need to make ourselves a bit less complicated. And so we've got a big business case that we are creating at the moment um, that is essentially taking the entire technology state globally mm -hmm. across all the markets, across all of the different functional areas in the center. And we've uh, mapped it against the, the, the blueprint that we've created. We're working with archetypes in a sense. And what we're doing is we're now um, identifying certain hotspots and areas that we're going to start to consolidate and simplify. So it's about really removing some of that complexity mm -hmm. and then retargeting some of the spend that we release from that. Yep. You know, we, we create better you know, pace and agility, mm -hmm. but retargeting some of that spend then yep. to really start to drive more targeted differentiation in the areas like some of the business groups. So if you yep. can think about the beauty and well-being business, for example, there's lots of new technology coming through in that space that mm -hmm. we'll be wanting to be able to start to investing going forwards yep. um, and so you know it's about simplifying where we really don't need to leveraging the scale design once deploy many times and then really starting to target where we want to yep. differentiate in a, in a much clearer way one of your directors Manish Manish Gupta mm -hmm. and we did a conference with him and what stuck with uh, with all of us is that he talked about the BMI the application BMI the body mass index of of how many applications that you have so mm. reducing the number of, yeah. of applications is, is really a target yeah absolutely and yeah. that's very much what I've just described is absolutely linked to that idea and that philosophy yeah. of, of the BMI and I love that that term <laughs> that's definitely the way we're describing it internally yeah. okay yeah now Talking about applications, mm -hmm. uh, let's zoom in a, a bit on, on ERP mm -hmm. and, and, and the global ERP strategy, if that's, uh, if that's okay with you. Um, many organizations are simplifying the ERP because they have many, many, many different installations and they want to go to an, a smaller number of one mm -hmm. of them or just one of them. They're moving their ERP into the cloud. They're forced by SAP uh, to do that as well. Mm -hmm. So how do you look at that? What is your strategy around ERP? And are you taking that, um, uh, that opportunity to simplify and, and, and to transform the way that you use ERP here? So there's a few different things we've got going on. So we've already done a lot of consolidation around our ERP estate over time. Yep. So we, we today, as it, as it stands right now, we have four instances of SAP that oh. run the entire world wow. and, that, and that's not a lot. Wow. You know, for 190 countries and, and we literally use SAP to do everything through mm -hmm. our core part of our business from, yep. from make, buy, you know, sell, transport, move, the mm -hmm. whole thing is covered through the SAP estate. And uh, so the starting point for today is, is pretty good. Yep. What we have had is 
um, different ways of potentially operating those and still some nuances and differences. And so we're still trying to do further standardization and mm -hmm. simplification around that. Yep. And we're now moving that into, into one way of working. Mm -hmm. Now, we have a quite an aggressive cloud program across the company that we are well on with yep. and uh, is probably one of the more advanced cloud programs that there are out there right now. Yep. Um, and so we've already moved about 85% of our technology wow. yeah, into the cloud. So we've sort of le you know, leapt over the hybrid stage and we are moving straight into mm -hmm. um, cloud and by the end of this year, we'll be over 90%. So as it stands right now, mm -hmm. we have moved half of the SAP estates into the cloud. Mm -hmm. We just did uh, last weekend uh, another big move. Yep. We have another move coming up in, in a few weeks. And then in uh, towards the end of Q3, we'll be doing yep. um, the, the final stage of our SAP yep. migration. What comes next after that? Uh, we're thinking about uh, implementing a centralized finance layer. Um, potentially using S4 CFIN, and that's something we've been looking at. We've been working on that now for a few months. And that would, we believe, bring some agility and would allow us to take some of the complexity in the SAP estates mm -hmm. up into a centralized layer yeah. that would really fit with our organizational model now. Yeah. And then later, down the road, we would mm -hmm. then look then to move the rest of the estate into, into S4. Okay. So SAP is there for finance, for uh, mm -hmm. supply chain, logistics, and so on and so on, but not for everything, I, I, no. I can imagine. You, you, match, uh, you match the, the, the best of the different platforms mm -hmm. that are out there? Yeah, absolutely. So we've, well, over time, what we've done is we've, we've taken an approach where we've shrunk the core a little bit. Yeah. And where it absolutely makes sense to, to stay with SAP, we have done so, and yep. we, it's, it's a huge integral part of the way mm -hmm. we run our business today. Yep. But there are you know, some niche applications that sit in and around that which add complementary technology and functionality for the organization yep. that it absolutely makes sense to also use. Yep. And so we've absolutely done that yep. over recent years. And that's for the CRMs and the HRs and... Uh, and, and Indeed, so. okay, yeah. Good. So... Sam, explain us how are you organizing IT here? What's the IT operating model today? Are you changing it? What, how does it work? Um, because in such a complex uh, a group uh, with these five business groups, how do you organize IT? So we have a large central technology function, mm -hmm. um, which we deliver all of our global platforms from. It's a mixture of um, internal people. Mm -hmm. We have uh, some outsourced partners that we work with, as you would expect. Yeah. And that group is, is located in, in various places around the world. We have a huge center in Bangalore. We have quite a big presence in the UK and, and also um, over in Brazil, which gives us a, a nice range of, of time zones as well, okay. with a spattering of, of people in other areas. Mm -hmm. And we tend to choose our, our partners to, to be complementary to that ecosystem where it makes sense as well. Okay. And then will the, the different five, the five different business groups, will they have their own IT groups? So is that... The way that we've set up our organization through this change mm -hmm. is to you know, effectively have the power of one mm -hmm. and the focus of five. And yep. that's the language we use internally. Okay. So the focus on five is really about enabling these five different business groups. Mm -hmm. The power of one is the larger Unilever business operations organization, technology organization that delivers then those services. And so as I mentioned before, we're really trying to make very targeted choices about how do we make sure that we use the scale of the supply chain of Unilever? How do we make sure that we use the scale of the efficiencies, the processes, the technology that we've invested yep. to be able to transport you know, our goods, make our goods, you know, to deploy our technology and our experiences to, mm -hmm. our, to our community of colleagues? Yep. That's the power of one. And then the focus on five is where we create um, you know, targeted technology solutions to be able to enable those business groups and their strategies. Mm -hmm. um, where are you in your roadmap to, I mean, all the big companies are growing or they already are in, in agile and, and working in, in DevOps and business DevOps and so on. Where are you in, in, in that journey? Um, a mixture. Uh -huh. In all honesty, because we are such a large company, mm -hmm. we absolutely um, buy into the agile mindset mm -hmm. and 
you know, in, empowerment and, and creating cross-functional teams. We have, you know, I, you know, just going back to your question previously, we have technology groups that sit in a lot of the market areas as well that have to then work very closely with the global technology team in mm -hmm. order to be able to um, really maximise and leverage the proximity to our customers yep. and to our stakeholders and to, to manage those localised solutions that I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. But this whole setup means that it's quite complicated to move into a, into a true agile structure at the moment. And through the organisational changes we've just made, we're mm -hmm. absolutely um, introducing centres of excellence. Um, so we're starting to bring in more of those ways of working mm -hmm. where we're creating proper you know, pockets of, of technology competence and moving more towards agile. In some areas, we're much further ahead, yep. but, but we're not in a place yet where the whole organisation is set up that way. Okay. So you're working with a, a number of different strategic partners. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and so that's uh, your sourcing model. So, But how is the sourcing model changing over time? Um, to be honest, there was too many of them mm -hmm. initially. Um, so when I joined last year, we had been embarking on a big um, partner consolidation program. Mm -hmm. Not in the software space, but in the SI space, we just had a lot of partners that had been introduced for lots of really good reasons over time, but it just made everything extremely complicated. So okay. we embarked on a, a bit of a consolidation program to start to narrow that down to a couple of strategic vendors. We okay. still have quite a number in the mix, mm -hmm. but we have two, you know, um, you know, much more consistent partners that we tend to operate with now. What we've now got to do mm -hmm. is to do, I think, a little bit of a shift over time because, you know, some of the things that the partners are doing, I would probably rather have in-house mm -hmm. and, and vice versa. And I think, you know, naturally, I think it happens in a lot of organisations and it's happened in some of the other organisations that I've worked in. You end up with a bit of a weird sort of mix. Yeah. And, and, and over time, sometimes you need to think about where your intellectual property is, the things you need to bring back, the things you need to leave with the partners and how you get the best from those relationships. Yeah. And so that, for me, is very much the next stage, how we start to go through that shift. Yeah. And I think there's a real talent management part of that as well, both for both the partners and for the internal Unilever employees yep. because I think what can happen is over time you can build up this partner ecosystem and suddenly realise that you don't actually have enough roles at certain grades mm -hmm. to give people the career pathways yep. that they want and they join the company for and so that's something we're absolutely looking at because we want to really make sure that we have the right talent and we have the right career pathways for yep. people to really enjoy technology careers within the organisation. Yeah, we see, we see that man with quite a number of big organisations, mm -hmm. uh, taking back some control, mm -hmm. not really insourcing, but, but mm. I mean, insourcing a, a number of, of, of important roles so that there's a career path and that you have mm -hmm. better control over the mm -hmm. overall and that, I mean, the time of the big, big outsourcing contracts is, is, is mm -hmm. gone, I think. So yeah. there's, there's new ways of working with these, mm -hmm. uh, with these amazing mm -hmm. companies. Um, a bit more on, on, on technology, maybe, mm -hmm. Sam. Uh, because I mean, I, I can imagine you have all of all of the different technologies here, mm. right? If, mm -hmm. uh, uh, although you're reducing your BMI application BMI, <laughs> but if, I mean, we, we both love technology. So, where is wh what is for you? Uh, the, what are the most exciting technologies of the moment? Where do you see that you can really innovate with with, with new tech? In, in, in a big playground of a, of a company like Unilever? I think Unilever is fascinating mm -hmm. because for me, technology is about solving problems. Yeah. It's about how do you use technology to enable the business? How do you use it to solve problems? How mm -hmm. do you use it to unlock capability that we didn't have before? And I think because of the scale, because yeah. of how much remit there is with across the organization today, there are always lots of exciting things yeah. to, to go after. I think... Um, I'd answer the question through two perspectives, really. I mean, as a product organisation, a CPG, mm -hmm. of course, the area around our consumer relationships, our end customers, is always going to be an area, mm -hmm. you know, with digitisation, with data, with, you know, increasing perspectives around our customers and really thinking about our customers' needs is, should be and absolutely is an area yep. that we want to invest more and more in. Yep. Secondly, from a customer standpoint, we, we you know, we, we do business and we provide our products mm -hmm. um, to every range of size of customer and customer in our sense of course is the retailer or the shop mm -hmm. and so we you know we partner with and work with um, retailers and customers that are you know the Walmarts and the Tesco's of the world yeah. and the Carrefour's right the way down to the tiny little shops in mm -hmm. Asia in India and we get our products to 
everywhere. Now there's constantly things that we can do in that space to innovate and that's a really big part for us. So really creating omni-connection for both the customer and yep. for the consumer is a really big part of our strategy. Mm -hmm. um, we've already talked about cloud and cloud mm -hmm. continues to be a huge focus for us. So yep. we now have an only cloud strategy mm -hmm. at Unilever, which is you know, quite bold for us, I think, and, you know, mm -hmm. absolutely something that we believe in. We'll be 90% there by the end of this year. What we haven't done yet is modernized all of our applications to truly take advantage of the cloud capability. And so that's a, a big next part of this, yep. of this process for us and a big next part of the yep. journey. And of course, there's just, you know, there's a huge amount of of, of new technology which is surfacing now in the area of AI, mm -hmm. automation, um, metaverse of course is one of the buzzwords that's around now, but just thinking through how can you start to take some of those technologies and really apply them in this context is mm -hmm. fascinating. Yeah. And there's different horizons to that. Yeah. Some of these things are further out, some of these things are, are really close. Mm -hmm. So we've got a real hyper-automation strategy as part of, of our overall vision. You know, yeah. We're really investing in that and thinking about what can we do to drive more efficiency, mm -hmm. uh, to unlock to improve the experience for the business and for yep. our users and colleagues. Um, but also, you know, how, how can we look beyond that and how can we use AI? There's a, there's a lot of thinking that we're doing around AI ethics mm -hmm. and, um, you know, how does AI work with, with the data and our data strategy as well. Okay. Metaverse, is that something that you're um, involved in as well with the IT team? Um, we're starting to do some points of view mm -hmm. papers. So we're starting to do okay. some early thinking. Yeah. So probably too soon to talk about today, but yeah, absolutely something that we're, we're yeah. thinking about how we can incorporate for the it's future. It's going to be interesting to see how that pans mm. out. Indeed. Is, is this going to be a new second, second live or, mm. or is this going to be real, right? Mm. So it's um, going to be very, very cool. Indeed. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your role. Mm -hmm. How would you describe fundamentally your role? What is it that, uh, and, and where do you spend most of your time? If you look at your agenda, where do you spend most of your time? What's the fundamentally what you do today here? So we've talked today about Unilever being a big business and mm -hmm. we've got the five business groups. We've also got lots of acquired businesses and um, mm -hmm. smaller parts of the organization as well. And so as you'd imagine, when you've got you know that many businesses, you've got 190 countries, we have technology leaders that we have sitting across various different areas. Mm -hmm. I view my role as being the person that needs to bring the overall vision, mm -hmm. the strategy for technology, yeah. for the organization, to make sure that we're aligned, to bring us together, to make sure that we are heading in the right direction, that we are doing the things from a technology standpoint mm -hmm. that Unilever needs us to do yeah. in order to unlock the capability for, for the future. Yeah. So that's a big part of my role. Mm -hmm. And the second part I would say is, you know, as always when you're a technology leader is fixer, problem solver, unblocker, <laughs> because there's always that. It comes with I think any leadership role within technology it's about you know the execution of technology is yeah. always complicated because it involves hearts and minds it involves change and no matter where you sit in the organization you're never completely removed from that you're mm -hmm. always going to be part of the yeah. the problem solving part of needing to deliver okay. tech. So you run this global IT organization how do you manage that what is how would you describe your management style how do you make sure that you attract the right people, that you make them successful, that you retain them? Mm -hmm. How do you create successful teams? What's your secret ingredient? <laughs> this comes very much down to who I am mm -hmm. as a person, actually, yeah. and my values as an individual. I am someone that um, I really value you know, integrity, humility. Mm -hmm. I value honesty, transparency. There's, there's, those sort of things are absolutely the qualities that I value in people and that yeah. I try to be, yeah. you know, every day. And and I've always really struggled with Sam, the leader, and, or Sam at work and Sam at home. There isn't really a Sam at work and Sam at home. There's just Sam. Mm -hmm. And so I think the way that I um, try to, to lead uh, within an organization is that I try to create an organization where there isn't really hierarchy, mm -hmm. where everybody feels like they've got a voice. I think it's really important, particularly I think in technology, for people to feel like they've got that voice, that ability to speak up, mm -hmm. um, where they feel included, where they, you know, you set the vision, you set the strategy. And I think if you explain the context and you create that kind of environment, then people oh. generally want to go with you on that journey. Mm -hmm. I think the second part of it, and this is something that we've been focusing on uh, within, you know, technology and within business operations recently um, as an organization is 
how do you create a fearless organization? And again, I think that's really important for technology. Mm -hmm. When you're doing these sorts of transformations and changes that we've talked about today, mm -hmm. they're not easy. No. You know, and quite often, you know, when you're thinking about Unilever, they've not been done before mm -hmm. on that scale, on that complexity with that number of customers or that number of transactions. It's just on a scale which makes it really hard and mistakes get made. Yep. And I think you've got to create an environment for people to operate in where people can speak up without fear of retribution, without fear that they're going to feel like they've been stupid for making a mistake. And yep. I think that's when you really create a learning organization. And that's when you really create and attract and retain talent within the organization because yep. people feel like they can grow and they feel like they can find their place and yep. that they can see where they have the opportunities. So that's clear, the kind of culture and environment that, mm -hmm. that, that you're creating but there's young people looking this video why should they come and work in, in in IT of Unilever what is so exciting about working here well you start off with a scale uh -huh. um, I, I think that there's two things probably that attracted me here so mm -hmm. I'll, I'll start off with what attracted me to the company I, th I think this is true for everybody from a tech perspective yeah. the scale of the tech we have is, is just huge. There's so much opportunity and so many things mm -hmm. from, from a, from, you know, that you can go after and get involved with. I really think that when you think about the, the Googles and the Facebooks, we're not a Google, we're not a Facebook, mm -hmm. but I don't think that there's any technology role that exists today in those companies that doesn't exist here or that won't exist in the future. Yeah. We all have to do the same things at the end of the day. Yeah. And so I think that from a tech standpoint, there's just a lot of opportunity and a lot to get involved with. Mm -hmm. And then I think that, you know, it's, it's backed up by you know, who Unilever is. And it's an organization where it's a values-driven organization. Mm -hmm. It's got genuine purpose and it, it does run to the root of, of the company, the heart of the company. Yep. And I think if you're someone that, where that's important for you and you like to work with exciting tech, then I think it's a great, really great place yep. to work. Now we've already talked a little bit about you, your leadership style, your values and so on. Um, if I would go back to Telenet or to Virgin Media mm -hmm. and I would ask people that work with you, um, about about your leadership style. Mm -hmm. What do you think they will say about you? The good and the bad. How do you how do you think they perceive you as uh, as a leader? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think they'd say two things. I think well, I know. I mean, the repeated feedback that I've had here mm -hmm. and and in EasyJet as well, actually, um, is people say she's really normal. <laughs> <laughs> Which I take, I'm going to take as a compliment. Okay. I'm going to take that as a compliment. Um, I think perhaps people would expect people in roles like mine to be intimidating, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I think it perhaps says something about that. And I, and I you know, try just to show up and be myself and, and to create that inclusive environment that we just talked about. Yep. I think what they'd also say is that I'm always late. <laughs> and I know this and I know and it's something that I've worked on uh, for many years mm -hmm. and I struggle with because I'm the sort of person that likes to cram as much as I possibly can into every day okay. and I run from one thing to the next and then of course you know the diary doesn't quite work and things bump up against each other and I like to make sure that when I show up and I'm in that discussion, that I give it my 100% attention. Okay. But that means then I'm not always prompt at finishing it and starting the next. So uh, I, I definitely know they'd say that too. <laughs> okay. Let's talk a little bit more about your personality. Yeah. And you shared with us your MBTI profile, your mm -hmm. Myers-Briggs uh, personality type indicator, and you're an ENTP, mm -hmm. which is for a CIO, I must say. I mean, I've spoken to quite a number of them and we've discussed their profile in, uh, in, in detail. Quite an exceptional uh, profile for, for a CIO. So mm -hmm. uh, an ENTP, also known as a visionary or as mm -hmm. a debater, is a person with extroverted intuitive thinking and prospecting personality traits. And they tend to be bold and creative, mm -hmm. deconstructing and rebuilding ideas with great mental agility. And they pursue their goals vigorously despite any resistance that they might encounter. <laughs> I must okay. say, I must disclose, I have the same personality type. So, uh, so, okay. we, we, so it's a brilliant yeah. personality type, of course. So, but let's look at strengths and weaknesses yeah. of, of, uh, of people with, with your personality mm -hmm. type. Typically, ENTPs, they're very knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. They're quick thinkers. Mm -hmm. They're original. Mm -hmm. um, they're excellent brainstormers. They're charismatic and they're energetic. But... <laughs> Does that fit yeah. the bill? Do, do you do you recognize that? Or do you feel comfortable with that? <laughs> um, 
I guess so. Okay. I guess so. I know. I think definitely the, the strategic big picture thinking side of it is definitely part of who I am for sure. And the high energy levels and running at things, yeah, for sure is definitely me. Okay. But then the flip side. But the flip side. <laughs> yeah. The flip side is... Well, people with yeah. our personality type, mm -hmm. the potential weaknesses or development areas yeah. is we can be very argumentative. Mm -hmm. We can be insensitive, mm -hmm. I, I, I know that personally. We can be intolerant, we can find it sometimes difficult to focus and dislike practical matters. Mm -hmm. So there must be a couple that you recognize. Oh yeah, for sure. So which one <laughs> are you recognize best and, and how do you overcome them? And because you, you can't be insensitive or intolerant no, no, no. In, in, in your job, right? Yeah, no, the, the big ones there that I think, I, I think the things, I've done a lot of you know thinking about how I need to you know, improve over time and mm -hmm. uh, what you need to do. I think the, the big ones there that I would think about are um, when you have a tendency to, to love to build the big picture and the strategy, it, it's good, it's needed, it's absolutely mm -hmm. part of what we need to do, but you can leave people behind. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the characteristics of an ENTP is you like to run fast, you like to move quickly, but you don't necessarily know whether you brought everybody with you. And, and one of the things I've really had to work on over the years, and, and particularly working with different cultures and in organisations where there's the signs and signals of whether someone's with you on the journey or not are a little bit different with different cultures as we know, is you've really got to work and tune into, is everybody actually on the journey with you? Yep. And for some people, painting the big picture is enough and it's great and that is just enough to go on the journey because yep. they believe in you and they buy into the vision. Yep. But not for everyone. You know, different people are motivated or need different reasons to believe. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you have to work out what are the things, you know, maybe the data points um, or the, the other aspects that you need to bring in order to bring the, the, the people with you on that journey. And, and I think that's, that's definitely one. The second is, I think, that you can be... Um, I think ENTPs, and, and I can be, my husband is the same character personality as well, and we've talked about this, okay. is you can be a bit um, relentless in your pursuit for goals. And I think that it's quite easy to have very brief celebrations of success and then move on to the next thing mm -hmm. because you're quite driven and motivated to move on and move on and do the next thing. And right. actually, again, it can be really demotivating for people that have worked exceptionally hard mm -hmm. to be able to, to deliver some of these things. And right. I, again, you know, through my career and through my roles, I've learned that, you know, my need to celebrate that moment is smaller, perhaps, but you've got to do that and you have to make sure you create that space to, you know, celebrate the milestones and have that recognition with the teams. And that's something I, I definitely watch out for. And I think the third part of it is I absolutely do struggle, you know, with, with the schedule and routine side of it. My, my week is so regimented, you know, like so many people in business, you have like nine, 10 meetings a day and every moment, even down to your loo breaks and your coffee breaks is kind of diarized. And I, I'm fine with it because I want to move quickly and I want to get a lot of things done. Mm -hmm. But my way of being able to manage that with myself is yep. I have to create space at the weekend. And that for me is about my mental well-being and my happiness, where I just don't have to be anywhere for a period of time. And I can just, doesn't, I don't need to worry about the clock. I don't need to think about the time. I don't have to be anywhere in that moment. And I think it's about, you have to find those ways of creating that balance yep. when, when you're writing with the other hand, when you're doing something that you know is not part of the yep. way you like to be. So what do you do in the weekend? What are your personal passions? How do you relax or um, what are you busy with? Um, a lot of it's about family. Mm -hmm. um, family, we bought a lockdown dog. I'm building a house at the moment, which okay. is off-grid, which is taking up a lot of our time. An off-grid house? Yes, trying <laughs> desperately. <laughs> um, it's complicated, uh -huh. um, but a real passion for us. Um, so we're doing that at the moment. And uh, I love walking out in the countryside. Mm -hmm. I love going out for meals. I love cooking. cooking. Those, yeah, a Friday night, a glass of red wine, cook a meal. That for me is the way to, I, I really switch down from the week. Sam, mm -hmm. if at a Friday evening you start mm -hmm. your cooking, <laughs> yes. what must have happened so that it was a good week? What really drives you in your work? Feeling like we've made a difference and we've moved things forward. Mm -hmm. There's a big talent and people side of it for me as well. Mm -hmm. We've got some fantastic tech talent across this organization. And I think, you know, if we can create the right opportunities for those people, if we can give them the chances to be able to grow and learn with this environment, mm -hmm. um, 
that for me feels like a really successful week. I've just spent some time this afternoon with somebody on work experience with one of the people that's on our Unilever Future Leaders program okay. doing a, a download on the week and on what they've learned. Mm -hmm. And it's just fantastic sort of seeing you know, how, how much they've you know, learned from the course of, of being within Unilever just for one week yep. and uh, you know, their personal development journey as part of the organization. Yep. Now, talking about team development as mm -hmm. well, I can imagine that inclusion and, and all different types of inclusion is, is, is an important topic here mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So where are you in, 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 in the tech space here in, on, on making um, Unilever a really a diverse company and an inclusive company? Inclusivity and diversity is something that Unilever as a whole is incredibly passionate about. Mm -hmm. We have um, very active communities around LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. um, we have programs within our area around um, EDI. Yep. Um, we absolutely look at how we manage um, the diversity mix of our mm -hmm. teams. And, and it's something we genuinely believe in. I, more diverse teams is more representative of our consumers yep. uh, who use our products and you know, brings in you know, greater richness of ideas and thinking, yep. which you need. But it's not easy, especially not no. in IT, right? So, <laughs> so, so are you getting there or is, 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 that, is that an easy thing or really a difficult thing? We need, we need to do more in terms of creating more opportunities for female tech talent. Mm -hmm. And that's something that takes time. We're making really good progress, actually. Okay. But there's definitely that's something that I'm absolutely focused on. Yep. Um, we've got a new number of roles open at the moment. I'm really hoping that we're going to be able to create some opportunities for people um, coming through the organization. Yep. Um, but it just it requires investment, but it's not something which you can suddenly fix overnight. You've got to create the investment. You've got to track the right talent coming into mm -hmm. the organisation, um, you know, from the graduate schemes, from the apprentices, and you know, and grow them through the organisation. Create the opportunities, create the career pathways, and that's when you then start to be able to create the opportunities to bring them into leadership roles over time as well. Could you go a little bit deeper on on, <clears throat> on, on this? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the areas that we're really focused on, and we we're really starting to set some targets for us is around how we can really truly be accessible and that's mm -hmm. you know an accessible workplace it's making our technology more accessible for people and mm -hmm. um, to be able to use wherever they are in the world um, and we are absolutely you know building that into the overall technology strategy so we have inclusivity and accessibility by design now is one of our absolute design principles about the way we start to think about how we introduce technology into the organization yep. but it's not easy mm -hmm. and it's something we absolutely need the partnership and support from our technology partners mm -hmm. um, I, I would say that you know there are still a lot of di disabilities today that are um, you know, would find it very prohibitive to work in office environments and with mm -hmm. some of the technology that exists today. And, it, and it's a journey which we need a lot of support on, but we're, we're really focused on it. Sam, you made a great career. Mm -hmm. And you worked in top brands and top companies around the world and, and you made a lot of success. But we all make our mistakes. We mm -hmm. all have our failures. So I'm guessing you made a couple <laughs> yourself as well. So, so would you be so kind to choose your most brilliant failure and tell us about that and what did you learn uh, from your most brilliant failure? <laughs> well, one thing that immediately comes to mind is it happened very early on in my career mm -hmm. um, when I was working for a telecoms company. And uh, it was still in the day when I was doing a bit of coding and, and developer work. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was around the time that we were moving from analog TV to digital TV. and. We uh, obviously there was the set-top box technology that you'll be familiar with, and yep. we would send uh, some kind of hit, as we used to call it, but it was effectively like a transaction that would get sent out on the network to okay. upgrade your services <laughs> or remove some services, give you the sports channel, and so on. And I managed to send a uh, basically a series of, of uh, transactions down uh, in error. I might add, uh, that disconnected uh, a whole raft of thousands of customers and basically created an outage. <laughs> um, so not good, not good at all. Um, and uh, I, I learned very quickly from that that uh, the power of testing, uh, the power of um, you know, getting people to double check what you were doing and, yep. uh, and also the power of hiring better developers than I am. <laughs> so is that the only brilliant failure, Sam? Um, so... I, I think um, it, the other thing that I'd say is I, 
I'm a big one for believing that um, failures give you the opportunity to, to learn and to do something different. Mm-hmm. And in my, my last role before, before I joined uh, Unilever, I um, unfortunately had to preside over a large cyber breach, okay. um, which the organisation was affected by. And I think it's, it's one of those things in life that, you know, you can either, you can, like many things, you can view in two ways. Mm-hmm. You can either, you know, see it as this, you know, horrendous experience. And, you know, let's be honest, these things are, are not pleasant. And, yeah. and it's a pretty tough prospect when you're dealing with those things on behalf of your organisation. Or you can see the learnings in it. And I think, you know, if I look back on my career of, you know, 25 years now in technology, you know, cyber has been part of my role many, many times over that okay. over that period. And the amount that you learn in that moment when you're dealing with a situation like that is just off the scale compared mm-hmm. to anything that you ever knew before. And I think, you know, one of my, you know, personal philosophies and mantras is just try to take the learning from a situation you know you can always view it in the negative or the positive you're always going to have these things that happen to you in life and i think it's just how can you you get the learnings from it basically that's one of your personal mantras Mm -hmm. do you have other personal mantras I really genuinely believe in carpe diem, seize the day. And I think if I, were, if I was ever to have a tattoo, and I don't, it would be that. <laughs> or a bee from Manchester, that's the emblem of Manchester, a worker bee. But um, I, I think, um, I really believe that you get one chance, one shot. And I, I absolutely, mm-hmm. you know, want to go at life and, and live it in, in the fullest way that I possibly can. Yep. But I think the second thing that I'd say is just be kind to yourself. You know, a previous boss of mine once said to me that, um, you know, he goes home at the end of the evening and he'll, he'll pause and reflect and just think, what went well? What went bad? Okay, just, and now reset and go again tomorrow. And yep. I think it's so easy in life, you know, particularly in these types of roles that you can carry and drag through the, the tough day that you've had the day before into yep. the next. And I think it becomes a bit of a cycle. And I think you've just got to reset, get the learnings from the day before, go again. And I think that's the best way to approach things. I can imagine when you were 18, your big dream was not to become a a top CIO. What was your dream back then? I can't remember when I was 18, but when I was about six, I wanted to be an astronaut. An astronaut. Or or an English teacher. (laughs) So so yeah, I ended up in a very different space. (laughs) Good. So let's get a little bit, let's dive a little, little bit deeper. And, and um, because I, I think the, there's a relationship between top digital leaders and how they personally think, how they're wired, their mm. values and, and so on and so on. And, and, and a, a good way to, uh, is also how do, you, um, how do you manage when bad things happen in your life? So is there, I, w- I wanna ask you, what is the best thing that happened in your life and what's the worst thing that has ever happened in your life? And let's start with the, <clears throat> the best thing. What's the really the best thing that has ever happened to you? I think aside, okay, so aside from family, mm-hmm. getting my lockdown dog and all of those things that are ultimately, you know, the most important things for me. Um, we, perhaps not the exact answer you're going to expect it. Earlier this year, we um, brought a Ukrainian family over from... Ukraine um, in response to the, the war that's happening mm-hmm. at the moment in Europe and I, you know it was one of those moments where my husband and I woke up one day and just looked at each other and said you know what should we do and we decided to do something <clears throat> um, and I it, it was obviously it was a charitable decision it mm-hmm. was something that we felt we could do and we could support but it's ended up being something which is so much more than that. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely feel really grateful um, for what's happened, you know, for, not for, for what they've been through or for the situation, but for having this opportunity to be able to know them and support them. I am genuinely in awe of the family. And, you know, and going back to that point about positive mindset, I mean, my God, you know, they, as a family, when you think about what they've been through and what they're dealing with in oh. terms of problems right now, and yet they are constantly looking for how can we make this a positive situation? You know, how can we treat this situation where we've been displaced from the country we live in? You know, okay, our kids can learn English at school. We'll make this into something better. And it's so inspiring mm-hmm. to see how people can have such resilience in, yep. in that situation. And it's, it's been very unexpected. Another thing I'm very interested in mm-hmm. is, is uh, we talked about fearless organizations and mm-hmm. so on. What is it in your life that you fear most? Two things. Mm-hmm. The first is climate change. Mm-hmm. 
you know, if you look back over the last few years, I think there was a certain momentum, a lot in the news about climate change. Mm -hmm. and, and I genuinely feel concerned that with everything that's happening right now, you know, and you only need to look at what's happened. We've had the hottest summer, I think, in Europe on record, in many parts of Europe at least. We've got, you know, floods this week in Pakistan um, that are off the scale of anything that they've seen in, in living memory probably. And, uh, and it's there and it's real. And, you know, because of what's happening in the macro picture of the world right now, yeah. we're talking about turning coal-fired power stations back on which is going to be, you know, by any stretch, um, a real step backwards. Yeah. And so I, you know, I, I absolutely fear that. Um, second thing I fear, I think, is just, I love tech. Tech, mm -hmm. you know, is absolutely something that I get up on a morning and uh, inspires me. Um, but there's a dark side of tech. There's another side, which mm -hmm. is that, you know, just as good tech is being used, technology is being used today around the world and is advancing things and improving people's lives. And we've yeah. talked about many of those examples today. You've also got tech being used, you know, not for good things. And, you know, it was where that goes in terms of social control, yeah. you know, where that goes in terms of cyber threats, um, that I fear that too. And I think anybody, to be honest, that works in technology probably feels that way as well. So, Sam, mm -hmm. it was a pleasure coming over to London and visiting you. you here in the beautiful headquarters of Unilever. Uh, and I want to finish off with my last question for this interview, <laughs> and that is, these videos are being watched um, not only by other digital leaders around the globe, but also mm -hmm. uh, by young, ambitious professionals that want to follow in your footsteps. Mm -hmm. So what's the advice that you would give to future digital leaders? I think... Perhaps just a few things. I, I would say learning to adapt, mm -hmm. learning to cope with change is such a super skill today in business generally, particularly in technology, but in business generally, in the environment that we're in, the way the world is evolving, the way that technology is evolving across business. Mm -hmm. I think if you can learn to adapt and reorientate yourself and keep evolving around that and coping with change, it's an absolute you know, essential skill, I think, and something mm -hmm. that will really help you in your career. The second thing I'd say is um, learning the power of inquiry. Mm -hmm. You know, questions are, you know, open up everything. And I think as you're starting out in your career, it's quite easy to think, oh, that's a stupid question, I won't answer that. Or everybody else in the room will, will know what this is. I, mm -hmm. I don't want to ask that question just ask the question. And I think that you will always bring in a, a different perspective, a different view. I, I think if you walk away from a conversation and you can't remember what you've learned from that conversation and you just remember what you said, you were probably talking too much. <laughs> you probably were not inquiring enough no. in that conversation. And uh, I think the last thing I'd say is don't let any of your career choices be guided by fear. Mm -hmm. No fear you know, is the limits that you set yourself and, you know, becomes the limits that you set yourself in a sense. And I just, I think, try to make those brave decisions. You know, you won't necessarily, and it's natural not to be able to see the pathway of everything that you're going to be able to do in your career or to understand how you're going to be able to tackle something or achieve something or get the learning and knowledge that you need. Yep. But so often, as so often in life, just start, you know, go on the journey and so often things will then start to, to fall into place. Just, just make the step. Okay. And on that note, mm -hmm. thank you so much for thank this you. brilliant uh, uh, interview. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. It's really nice to see you.